Just give us one hour, and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice, and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about and with education pioneers and the future of education. And as a mom who is celebrating the return of my children to school, one to high school and one entering college, I cannot thank our teachers enough. And we happen to have the 2015 National Teacher of the Year in the house. And her name is Shauna Peoples. And Shauna took a circuitous route to the classroom. She worked as a disc jockey, medical assistant, pet sitter, and journalist before she says the class chose her or teaching chose her. Peoples now teaches at Palo Duro High School in Amarillo, Texas, where she spends half of her day as a high school English teacher and the other half mentoring, coaching, and challenging her colleagues to grow in the teaching profession. And the school at which she works is a unique environment in that many of her students come from diverse cultural backgrounds. Amarillo is one of several cities in the United States that helps refugees find new paths in life and gain access to critical resources. As a result, Peoples works with many students who speak English as a second language or who recently entered the United States from another country. Good morning, Shauna. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Lisa. It's such an honor to be with you this morning. Well, the honor is mine because I cannot um, praise teachers enough. You are the most, in my estimation, the most under-celebrated uh, career that, that I can think of. And what you do for our children is spectacular. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I appreciate that on behalf of, of, of the 7 million teachers in the United States who do um, just amazing work every day. Indeed. Let's, let's jump in and talk about the demographic that you reach because you do come from a very interesting community. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is an interesting community. Amarillo is um, in the panhandle of Texas, and we are in the middle of cowboy country. And uh, so it, it was kind of a culture shock when we began receiving refugees from East Africa and from Burma that's now Myanmar. Uh, and we had that start about eight years ago. And to this community's credit, they, they welcome these people with open arms, and we have seen our refugees as 
assets to our diversity here in Amarillo, and, and I'm very proud of that. It, it was a little bit of a strain on our school system simply because these refugees came from camps, um, the, a camp in Thailand and then the camp in, in Kenya, the Kakuma refugee camp, was really quite um, severe. Those students that came from there had never been to school before. They'd never sat inside a classroom and really never sat inside anything that you or I would call a, a residence of any kind. They basically had a tarp and an open butane flame, and that's, that's how they survived. And they came from there to our classrooms. And so it, it, it was a shock on their end and, our, and on our end as well. Our Burmese refugees were coming from some, I would say, gaps in their schooling. They're, they're, they did try to provide in the camp some sort of education. So they had it a little bit better, and, and their camp was a little bit better situated as far as taking care of their needs. Um, but really, if you can imagine having to leave behind everything and everyone that you know and then learning a brand new language and for my uh, East African students, my Somalian students, having to learn to read and write because they, they had no written language. And, you know, and the word trauma pops into my mind because you, you are dealing with a population that in many cases comes from not just poverty, but from war-torn territories. So these children are trying to manage the displacement of coming to a new country, completely foreign rituals and customs, and healing from these invisible wounds of war and displacement. Oh, absolutely, Lisa. And I really, when I first saw that I wasn't dealing with anything that I had ever been prepared for in teacher education classes was when I had my first group of refugee students and I asked a question of them that I've, that I've asked many children, which is, draw me something that you can't forget. And often when I do that, I've gotten children who will draw trips to an amusement park or a, you know, a pet, or if they do sort of a sad thing in their life, they'll draw like a grandparent that died. But what my students were drawing um, I saw pictures of soldiers burning villages to the ground and bayoneting children, and that's when I realized there is a level of trauma here that, that I've never seen and I've never worked with. And I, I was just in awe of the courage that these students had to come to this school, given what they had dealt with in their home countries. And so it, it is some pretty severe trauma. And I think this is what places you in such a unique position and part of what must have been recognized in naming you 2015 Teacher of the Year is your unique methodology and approach to working not just with the refugee population, but just with with your creativity to reach people. I think that's probably one of your greatest gifts. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. Now, you know, we, we try uh, together, and, and I have to really give so much of that back on, on the great team of colleagues that I work with. We work together to find an 18th or 19th or 20th way to teach a concept when a student can't get it. And that has ranged from all kinds of things like... Um, with the refugee students, we used uh, Michael Jackson karaoke um, <laughs> because <laughs> ah! 
it, it, it really it it was astounding to me that when I first met them and and I usually play music a lot in my classroom, my Michael Jackson playlist came up. And they knew the words to Billie Jean. These students from Thailand and from Burma and from Somalia knew all the words. And that's when we thought, okay, so we can use that, what they know there of the music and the repetitive lyrics. We can teach them language through that. Um, and, And my AP students, my advanced placement students, we... We didn't use music, but what we had them do is look at what's something that they're really interested in that meets a need in our community. And for a group of of one of my uh, 17-year-old girls, it was about five of them, they realized that in their part of Amarillo, which is probably the lowest socioeconomic place in Amarillo, that people were not accessing health care, and particularly not women, because of a language barrier. And these girls all spoke English and Spanish, just perfectly bilingual. And what had always been seen in them as sort of a detriment, that they didn't have English as their first language, became like an asset when they decided to take that ability and go into North Amarillo, partner with the Komen Foundation and the Amarillo Breast Health Coalition, and create bilingual breast health presentations for people in North Amarillo. And because they did that, they were able to connect a woman who'd never seen a doctor with a mammography van and get her a mammogram, and they found a a malignancy that was able to be treated because of those girls. So what I have learned as a teacher is as much from my students as anything else, which is when I stepped back and invited my students to sort of co-create our curriculum together and our classroom together, it amazed me what they were able to do. What you described to me is education at its best. When we empower our young people to take the knowledge that they've learned in the classroom and take that out into the world and become that change that we wish to see. Absolutely. And that, that quote is one that's prominent in my classroom. And, and they take that very much to heart. And it, it is our future. I mean, these kids are our hope. They are our future. Mm-hmm. And what I love about these programs that you're describing and the efforts of your students is that it, public school education in America gets a bad rap. You know, that it's mm-hmm. uh, overpopulated, underfunded, kids mm-hmm. aren't getting what they need. And the reality of it is there are people like yourself who are so impassioned that these kids are getting the best of you and getting to become the best that they can be, which is which is awesome. Absolutely, Lisa. And, I, and that's what I say. You can see these children through one of two lenses. You can see them through a deficit model and say, here's everything that's wrong with these kids. They can't speak English. They have cognitive issues. They have mental health issues. They have, you know, uh, socioeconomic issues. Or you can look at them through an assets model and you can say, here's everything that's right with this child. Here's everything that I can draw on and draw out of this child to create something new and help build what they can do well into a vehicle that will propel them to their own individual success. You know, I'm thinking about when I was uh, a young girl, which was a a while ago. (laughs) I remember I had an English teacher 
in seventh grade in New York City, and her name was Mrs. Kay Unger, and I don't know if she listens to our show or not, but she is embedded in my memory because she instilled in me a love of learning and reading mm-hmm. and writing, mm-hmm. which, st- which stays with me today. Uh-huh. And that is the point of all of this, of, of why you do what you do, right? Yes, absolutely. That is it. I mean, that is the point. I call myself a literacy salesperson rather than a teacher. (laughs) And that is, you want to sell lifelong learning and you want the student to buy that for himself or herself so that they will have that sense of themselves as someone who is curious and empathetic and always, you know, looks at the world as a place where they can find themselves and they can bring their best selves to it. And an FYI for everybody who is listening, that the uh, research is compelling and has defined lifelong learning and curiosity as two cornerstones in the ability to cultivate and sustain happiness or well-being. It's no accident. And, yeah. I, and I believe the work you're doing uh, helps set these children on a course to happier, more productive lives. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation of the 2015 Teacher of the Year. Shauna Peoples can be found at shaunapeoples.com. And on Twitter, that handle is at Shauna Peoples. Here comes the Love Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Love is in the air, in the whisper of the tree. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download this podcast and share it. Why? Because sharing is caring, and it's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7, and we are talking with education pioneers and the future of education. With me now is Shanna Peoples, and I want to correct myself because she's got a twang. She's from Texas, and I don't twang (laughs) over here on the West Coast. So it's Shanna, and she is the 2015 teacher, National Teacher of the Year, and we are having a lot of laughs over here talking about the very serious subject of education. 
So Shanna, let's talk about what it was like when you got the word that you were the National Teacher of the Year. Oh, you know, that's still something that I can't believe happened. It's like some movie that someone asked me to be in because it, it, it just it was like being struck by lightning in a good way. You have to go through a pretty involved process to be selected as the National Teacher of the Year. And when they called me to let me know, I was coming out of a meeting that was really a very depressing meeting. And they called me and told me that. And then they said, well, but you can't tell anybody for six weeks because we have to put things in place. And so that's the biggest secret that I've ever been asked to keep. I felt like I had swallowed a helium balloon and had to just <laughs> just keep smiling all the time and acting like everything was just status quo. So it, it, it was sort of a, I think that that was a hard thing to do. But then as we got closer and closer to the end of that six weeks, more and more people did know it became very much of an open secret. Aha, the open secret. Um, <laughs> what inspiring things are happening in public education? Oh, my goodness. I think that there, there are two things that I am super excited about. Um, as a teacher, there is an idea that's being promoted by various teacher networks and the U.S. Department of Education, and that is the teacher leadership model, where teachers are taking the lead in educational change. We are not waiting for people to tell us what to do anymore. We are stepping up and advocating for our students and for best practice and to remind people that all of those policies that are set in state legislators and at the national level affect real children in real classrooms. And so I'm very proud of that model. And the second thing that I think uh, is is fascinating is the, the Hewlett Foundation is really promoting uh, – a way of looking at education called deeper learning. And all it really is, is kind of what I described as what my students did in North Amarillo. It is how do we get students to connect with real problems in the real world? How do we build their critical thinking, their communication, their collaboration skills, and turn that to real problems that they are going to inherit, like poverty and climate change. And I really love that model, and, and it, it is another one that is spreading across the country. I think this is phenomenal. And I think because of the demographic that you're working with, one thing that I, I can surmise from our discussion is the one of the top ingredients to success in children is that sense of resilience and grittiness, the ability mm -hmm. to bounce back from adversity. And mm -hmm. these kids come with that embedded. The fact that they have made it to you in your classroom already indicates that they've got that down. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I mean, and, and sometimes I go home and I think on my drive home, I cannot imagine the kind of courage, the kind of grit, the kind of persistence that is called on in these children, that, that they come from many of them. And I will say my students who grew up in Amarillo, they face trauma that's similar to my refugee students' trauma, only that trauma is caused by domestic violence and alcoholism and addiction and those kinds of things. Yet those students have the courage to show up every day. And I'm just in awe of that. And so, you know, I feel like 
if they can do that, then I have to bring my courage every day. I have to bring my best selves, self to honor that kind of courage every day. And clearly you are. You do <laughs> and you are. Who would you like to see honored as National Teacher of the Year in the future? What types of teaching um, would you like to see recognized? I, oh, that's a good question. I wish that there was a way that all teachers could be honored. I, I will tell you a little experience that I had very quickly in Texas. I was asked to be on a float in a parade for the governor, his inauguration, and I was representing education. And all of these people were lining the streets and they were clapping and cheering and saying my name because it was written on the float, not because they knew me. <laughs> and, and my ego very much wanted to say, oh my gosh, they, you know, they love me, they know who I am. But I knew that wasn't true. What they were clapping for and cheering for was what I represented, which is a teacher who had loved them or loved their child. And, and I remember thinking on that float, I wish I could bottle this and give this to every teacher because every teacher deserves this, every single one, because so many work in what feels like anonymity. And they are, they are turning their backs on what is in essence an inferno that is burning them up from the back, all of the pressure and stress and negativity, yet they are turning towards their students and opening their heart and bringing their best. And to me, that is nothing short of heroic. That is true heroism. And so I would love for every teacher to get that. I agree. And you, you mentioned the word love, which is probably the most powerful medicine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that, you know, in some ways, some children are hard to love. And, and one of the sayings that's been floated around in education is the children who need love the most act the most unlovely. And <laughs> that, that is true. And it, it calls on you to, again, put on a different pair of glasses to look beyond that front and to see it for what it is, which is a front. Here in Texas, I've, I've grown up around what's called a bull snake, and it looks exactly like a rattlesnake, and it behaves like a rattlesnake, except it's not dangerous or poisonous. And it puffs itself up when it's threatened. Uh, but if you, if you look at it, it goes backwards. It's trying to get away from you, but it acts like it's a big, bad rattlesnake. And I see that in so many students who have been wounded at such a deep level. They are acting like bull snakes and, because they want to push you away, and you have to see past that and see that really what's down there deep inside them is a wounded child who just needs to feel what we all need to feel, which is belonging and acceptance and kindness. Amen to that, you know, really. A bit, well, it's a very simple concept, but because you teachers are managing, you know, a lot of kids, sometimes it's hard to actually dial in and see what, what, what needs to be given and what needs to be done. I would imagine that's a very big challenge as well. Right, right. That is, that's a huge challenge. And there have been some, some great ways that teachers have figured out ways around that problem. One of the things uh, that I try to do personally is I try to immediately bond my students into small groups of, you know, like three kids or four kids because I want them to immediately have that sense of acceptance and belonging from each other. And those groups are 
much easier for me to monitor and they're much easier for them to support each other. And when you have like some, some teachers have like crazy amounts of students, 150, 175 students, that's one way in high school that we can help to, you know, sort of, um, support that idea of acceptance and belonging. Um, another thing is, is just through student writing through having them talk back to you in short little bursts on post-it notes, you know, that are anonymous that you just take up at the end of class and sort of take the temperature of each class so you'll know where your trouble spots are and who might need more attention. Mm. That's a good idea, actually. That's a really good idea. Um, We are almost out of time, but I wanted to just dig a little bit deeper into your background because you didn't start out in education. And that, uh, as we're speaking, it really leads me to this concept of the portfolio education and how that shapes us as individuals. Because I think the future of education and the future of careers is very different than when we were young, let's say. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I will say that teaching is the only job that I've had that has called on every single part of me. It's, it's called on me to face my own background. Um, I come out of domestic violence and, and addiction myself, you know, in my family. And it's caused me to have to face that sort of scary darkness in myself so I can connect with my students. And that's probably what kept me out of teaching is I was afraid of that. I was afraid to face that, and I was afraid to connect to my students in a way that I knew would call on me to be better and braver than any other job. But I will say that my, my other jobs that I've had, every one of those has contributed to making me the kind of teacher that I am. It, it certainly um, called on my communication skills and, and my writing skills and my ability to get along with a bunch of different people. And I do think that we don't do a very good job in this country of making teaching attractive, making it what it really is, which is a calling. It really is. And, and so I tell people, if you, if you want to serve your country, teach. If you want to give yourself spiritual meaning and purpose, teach. If you just want a crazy good life with interesting stories, you know, be a teacher. Uh. Indeed. Indeed. We are out of time. And thank you, Shauna Peoples, for joining us. Once again, the website is Shanna, like banana, not Shauna. This is, excuse my, my, my West Coast thing. It's ShannaPeoples.com. The Twitter handle is at Shanna Peoples. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypers Kamen and my amazing education pioneers, James Tynan from Khan Academy and Shannon Peoples, the 2015 National Teacher of the Year, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember... Happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And thanks to our producers who make us shine each and every week. We appreciate you. Go out and make it a great day.
Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Saturday afternoons on 97.5. Joy riding the coast with a global vibe, pleasing your ears and inspiring your mind. Joy riding the coast with me, Lisa Cypress Cayman. Saturdays, 2 to 5, on 97.5. KBU and RadioMalibu.net. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. We love hearing from our listeners, and we love connecting with you. So please follow me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen and HH Talk Radio, or tweet at us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Alrighty then, let's get to it. It is back to school. Yes, it is. The kids are going back to school. Some of the kids are going back uh, back to college or off to college, as is the case in my household. And some of the parents are relieved because now the summer vacation may really begin. And that was a joke, but almost a little bit of seriousness infused with that. We are talking about the future of education today, and we're talking with some education pioneers. My first guest is James Tynan. He is uh, leads the adoption team at Khan Academy. Khan Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit with a mission to change education for the better by providing a free, world-class education for anyone, anywhere in the world. Khan Academy believes that students of all ages should have free, unlimited access to the best educational content and they, that they should be able to consume and master this content at their own pace. The Khan Academy Library has content that covers um, ages kindergarten to early college in math, science, 
uh, topics such as biology, chemistry, and physics, and also reaches into humanities with tutorials in economics, finance, music, philosophy, and art history. The Khan Academy proudly has more than 26 million registered students to date and has delivered over 580 million lessons. And that breaks down to, get this, 3.8 billion exercise problems. James, I want to talk a little bit about you. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How did you come to join and partner up with Khan Academy? Oh, well, I had a, was very lucky. I was, uh, had my own education-related startup in, back in Australia. And when I, I sold that, I went to McKinsey & Company uh, for a few years, which is a big kind of global strategy firm. Left that to uh, come to the United States, uh, where I always thought that I would uh, go to business school, but uh, instead wound up working with this amazing group of people uh, here in Silicon Valley and just thought, wow, this is just the best school I've ever been in uh, and was was lucky enough to be a part of Khan Academy. Let's talk about what's what's up next for Khan Academy because you've got uh, the LearnStorm or just LearnStorm. There's no the. Yes, that's right. So Khan Academy has evolved a lot from a uh, you know video library. I mean, that's the way a lot of people know us was was seeing really great explanation videos uh, to a deep learning system that you mentioned those three point eight billion exercises. So what Khan Academy is now is a, a real, really a learning system that can almost be like a personal tutor on, online, especially in, in topics like math and computer science. And so LearnStorm is almost the next phase because what we piloted here in the Bay Area and we're looking at expanding out uh, over, the next, over the coming years uh, is uh, uh, what we hope could be a really fun way to engage with this this fun math tutor. Essentially, it is uh, has the potential to be one of the, the biggest kind of learning challenges in the world. At the moment, it's just in pilot stage. Uh, but the way that it works is you earn points uh, for working and doing some of those problems on Khan Academy. And the points can either be uh, for mastery, which is you displaying your skills um, on Khan Academy, or what we call hustle, which is really us tracking that metacognitive talent of persistence and growth and grit. And, uh, and so you can earn points for either, either side. And then you, your points aggregate up for your school. So every student's points matter. So if you're a student in a school and you maybe have never been the, the really great math student, nonetheless, you're contributing to the points of your overall team in your school. And so we've piloted this just in the Bay Area. So it's really brand new right now. Uh, but we saw a huge uh, result. We, we were targeting just 1% uh, of the students in the Bay Area. And we got actually close to 10% of students from 50% of Bay Area schools. And so we're very, very excited that this idea of a big learning challenge that includes every student uh, can really go um, bigger and bigger over the coming years. This is very interesting because I have a vision of Khan Academy as uh, remote learners. And what, what I'm hearing you say is that in addition to um, free education for all from wherever that may be, there are also these collective challenges that sound a bit like they're almost relays, relays for learning. Absolutely. I love that. I think 
that uh, that Khan Academy is definitely for all types of learners, remote learners, students in the classroom, uh, students you know at home with their parents. Uh, it's it has a lot of different um, I guess modalities, uh, but. Uh, in the classroom is where LearnStorm has been particularly um, taken up because it's a, a way for teachers to, I guess, uh, try out this whole Khan Academy thing in a way that is, it's just showing that Khan Academy is just a tool to have fun with learning as opposed to, um, you know, being some, I think we've been associated in the past with, you know, a big uh, change to education. And I think that that's true in some ways, but I also think that um, you can have fun with, with things like LearnStorm and it shows that Khan Academy really just is a tool and it's, it's really up to the teacher to work out, um, you know, how they want to adopt this in their classroom. For those who are new to Khan Academy, can you share a little bit about its history? Of course, yes. I think I mentioned before that uh, Khan Academy rose to prominence on the back of some YouTube videos. And it's, it's kind of funny because Khan Academy almost didn't exist. Uh, the way that it started was that uh, uh, a guy called Sal Khan, who was actually working in finance, uh, was tutoring his niece uh, in math because she she wasn't doing very well, but you know he believed that she could do a lot better, and so he started uh, you know tutoring her, and then the word got around the family that free tutoring was going on, and so more of the cousins and nieces and nephews wanted tutoring, and so he was looking for a way to kind of scale up these lessons and decided to put some of them on YouTube and soon noticed that, that many, many more people uh, than his cousins were, were tuning in and soon they had millions and millions of people, of people watching them. And some of those people you know, happened to be people like Bill Gates uh, from Microsoft or Eric Schmidt from Google and, uh, and people like Ann Dorr and others. And it was just uh, very fortuitous that when you that that all of those people kind of saw the vision of what this could be, and uh, and helped Sal and and now the the team and there's there's a team of you know almost eighty people here at Khan Academy now uh, turn that vision into a reality. And so far from just being this video library now, although that's very important. You know, Khan Academy is is more like an Amazon.com, but for learning. Whereas instead of saying you bought this uh, this shirt, so you probably should buy these pants, it's developing a picture of you as a learner and saying, "Oh, you know these things really well, so you should probably learn this next." Wow! Um, and what's interesting about it to me is somebody who is living in an underserved area or perhaps doesn't have access to conventional schools, as long as they have access to Wi-Fi, which in many developing countries, the infrastructure is there, although the, the, the brick and mortar is not. Yeah, I think that's one of the most exciting elements for me is that, uh, is that because the, the way that uh, things are developing, uh, you know, internet is becoming one of these kind of core um, infrastructures that once you have that access, that then access to what we are hoping to build, which is a free world-class education for anyone, anywhere, uh, that that can come along and piggyback on that, on that infrastructure. And as soon as you have that, that access, 
there is a, a fantastic learning uh, gain that's available to, to everyone who has that access. Now, I think the other thing to, to keep in mind is that even if you don't have internet access, there are ways to uh, access Khan Academy. We, we have a, a fantastic uh, kind of partner organization called KA Light. And they make uh, a version of Khan Academy that you can use using a, a very, very cheap device, a Raspberry Pi, where you can kind of load it into your classroom, even if you're not on the internet, and share all of those lessons and, and do all of the exercises. And uh, I think that especially in environments that are still kind of unplugged from the internet, that's a really great solution. Wow. I, I did not know about KA Lite and Raspberry Pi. That is Fantastic. And I'm assuming that um, on the website there are vehicles for uh, access to these programs. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, if you just Google KA Light, uh, you know, or if you go to Khan Academy, you can kind of see uh, how to get involved here. And I think that it's, um, it's uh, w- what we want to do is make it so that really education becomes like clean drinking water or shelter, that it's a basic human right that we believe everyone should be able to access and whether, you know, you have the internet access or not. And I think you hit the nail on the head about education being a, a human right, that education really is a power tool and education is power. Education is what provides the future and, and our future leaders. I think that's so true. I mean, for the longest time, education has been the divider, the gap between the haves and the have-nots. And I think it's not going to happen overnight. But I, I do believe that, uh, and the reason that I'm at Khan Academy is that uh, we, over the next coming generation, have the opportunity to remove that gap and to give everyone access to this thing that has traditionally been so scarce and precious. We are going to go to a break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about um, the growth mindset, hustle, and uh, other other uh, new technology and new programs that you're bringing on. But I, I do want to mention that KA has partnered with the College Board, and you're providing free SAT practice and prep, which is fantastic. Can you just, in a, in a quick nutshell, summarize that for our listeners? Absolutely. So the SAT prep has traditionally been a very um, lucrative field in that it's almost a billion dollar industry. And we think have always thought that that is really tough for students who can't afford those types of resources. And so we wanted to work with College Board to level the playing field and make it so that anyone, no matter whether you could afford resources or not, had access to what we hope will be the best SAT prep resources anywhere uh, in the world. And so that's what we did. Fantastic. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation about um, educating and, and the, the, the face and future of, of learning, both in a virtual environment and brick and mortar. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. To learn more about Khan Academy, please visit khanacademy.org. On Facebook, that name is Khan Academy. And on Twitter, the handles are Khan Academy. And our guest today is James Tynan, who is with Khan Academy. And that is his handle on Twitter as well, at James Tynan. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back.
like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download this podcast and share it because sharing is caring. And we are back to school. We are talking about and with education pioneers and the future of education. And with me now is James Tynan. He is the adoption team leader at Khan Academy. And for those of you who don't know about Khan Academy, it is a 501c3 nonprofit with a mission to change education for the better by providing a free world-class education to anyone, anywhere, and that is with connectivity or not. They have a vehicle and way to distribute free content and education to its learners. So, James, let's talk, let's continue the discussion about what's going on over there with your new programming and how you are teaching Hustle to the Students. Sure. Uh, well, one of the things that we talked about was this idea of uh, hustle and the growth mindset. And some of the things that we're working on are ways to unlock students' metacognitive abilities in addition to just their knowledge of things like math or computer science or biology. And the what's really interesting is that this work has been guided for us uh, by not only the academics and the experts in the area, but also by the teachers that we work with. And I can tell just a very quick story about uh, a teacher not too far from where we are here in Mountain View uh, in Oakland, um, who was working with his grade nine uh, algebra class in a very challenging uh, environment. And... It was a class that was in the the lowest kind of 20th percentile of the state and he managed to take it to one of the top 10 grade 9 algebra classes uh, in the state and partially that was through the use of Khan Academy and so we of course wanted to talk to him because uh, we know that it's really the teacher that is that's the driving force here and that, that Khan Academy is you know an excellent tool but you really need we really need to learn from teachers and so in talking to him uh, I expected that he would talk about all of the math 
tools that Khan Academy makes available because, you know, he's a math teacher. But really, uh, he was doing something quite interesting in his classroom. And that was, he was trying to break the divide between teacher and student and trying to, to essentially uh, help students unlock their, their ability to learn. And so he saw Khan Academy as a really great tool, not just because of the math resources, but because it was uh, something that allowed students to have their own agency. And he would say to them, it's not my job to teach you it's your job to learn and I'm one of your resources and Khan Academy is another resource. And so we thought that that was so interesting and, uh, and really uh, embodied the spirit of the types of things that, that we do here at Khan Academy. And, um, and so, we were, uh, so we were really inspired by that to continue to work with folks like Angela Duckworth, uh, and Carol Dweck at, at Stanford and some of her team at Pertz to explore the ways that these metacognitive skills could be unlocked with students. Angela Duckworth and her work on grit I find particularly interesting. And because uh, many of the students that come to Khan Academy either come in a virtual environment or the schools with which you are now working are uh, – challenged, you know, that they're not always the most economically um, strong areas. They don't have a, a large amount of resources and the programming that you offer augments that so beautifully. But the ingredient that these kids possess, this sense of grittiness and hardiness and resilience um, is something that has a value that is probably equal to or in some cases greater than the academic prowess that they are seeking. Yes, and I think it relates to the subject of your show as well in that you can learn, you can be really great at math and still be, I guess, a, a fragile learner or someone who is not going to be happy with their academic achievement uh, unless you've learned a way to um, you know, unlock some of those metacognitive skills, to unlock a way to feel great about taking on new challenges and pushing yourself in a way that's not um, harmful but is kind of useful and fun and good. Uh, and I think that, um, that some of the, the academics have really pointed the way to excellent new ways to do that. And so we've been working uh, in some of our new programming and also just in the core Khan Academy product uh, with those academics to develop ways to help students not only learn their math on Khan Academy, but learn some of those great positive mindsets too. How much does great storytelling play in great teaching? Oh, I think it's, it's huge. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed uh, watching Sal, who still makes a huge number of videos uh, for Khan Academy is that he is very human and present in all of the the work that he does. And I think there's an inherent story in all of his videos. And when you see that, you notice that it's actually more of a rare thing than, than you, you might think. Um, I've obviously tried to make a couple of videos just internally for things that we've done at Khan Academy. And I've also worked with a bunch of partners from various different organizations who have tried to do the same thing and you realize what a talent it is to be a great teacher and so when I'm out talking to, to teachers I'm always very privileged because uh, 
I know how difficult it is. And part of that is your ability to tell a very human um, story that connects people on that level that's somewhere deeper than the intellectual. Indeed. And, 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 and while we may want to watch a video to learn how to do statistics or probability or algebra or whatever, the ability to connect with the person delivering the humanity of the, the academic or the teacher and do we resonate, do we click with that person and what they're giving off, I believe is key to part of our receptivity of what is being taught. How open are we? I could not agree more. I think it's part of the reason why Khan Academy has had, you know, so many hundreds of millions of people connecting to our videos and to our resources is because if you talk to the students and we get these just amazing testimonials every day and part of what they're saying is, you know, I had such trouble with, you know, this whatever subject, whether it was statistics or algebra or, or anything like that, and that I'd been afraid of it. And partially what uh, makes Khan Academy great is that you can come to it at your own time and it will never judge you and it will never give you the sense that, you know, you're anything but just trying your best and it will help you in that way. And I think that, um, that the humanity of, of the folks who work here is kind of really infused in, in the work that we do. And, and so that's why we're always so thrilled to, to see how students have then used the, the resources because it does feel like connecting on a very human level. I want to just go back to some in- interesting statistics about the, the LearnStorm pilot that was done in the Bay Area. You had um, 73,000 students that participated. They completed mm-hmm. over 200,000 hours of learning. They solved 13.6 million standards-aligned math problems, on top of which about 47% of those students, and you mentioned this earlier, um, who participated in LearnStorm attended low-income schools, which m- meant that um, half of their students are eligible through free or reduced price meals through the National School Lunch Program. T- tell us a little bit about that because that's that's a big figure. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that when we started to pilot LearnStorm, we were very, very mindful of because we have a mission of a free world-class education for anyone, anywhere. And that means that it's not just for, you know, the middle-class or upper-class kids who uh, can afford, you know, laptops in every classroom. We, we needed to find a way to bring Khan Academy to everyone. And so the structure of LearnStorm, and it is really just a fun learning challenge, uh, was based on uh, a, a structure that could enable pretty much any school to be involved. And that doesn't matter if your school has, you know, iPads in every classroom or if it has just an old learning lab somewhere with a couple of old, you know, PCs in it. It was designed to work in all of those different environments. And so we had been very mindful in the creating of LearnStorm to, to make it so that any teacher anywhere could, could have a go and bring their students uh, in, into it. But beyond that, we also worked with some partners like uh, Google and uh, Internet Essentials from Comcast 
to even Im improve uh, how we were able to get to some of the schools that have the majority of students on the free and reduced lunch program. And what we did was uh, we kind of looked at a way to enable those students and teachers to pull technology into their classroom if they were interested in learning more with Khan Academy and LearnStorm. And so if you were at, at one of those kind of more high-need schools and you 50% of your students got signed up for LearnStorm and started doing some work, then we got an undertaking from Google and from Comcast that Google would come to the school with free Chromebooks uh, for your classrooms and Comcast Internet Essentials would provide free six months of free home internet for uh, el those eligible families on the, on the free and reduced lunch program. And so that was a way to help provide that um, basis for students who really wanted to get involved with this type of learning and, and teachers who wanted to and to uh, to really accelerate it. And I think we were just thrilled to see the results that we were actually, we had more students from these uh, kind of more um, high need schools than uh, as a percentage than the actual state average. Wow. Well, and clearly the, the, the need for this technology, the need for uh, vast availability of this programming is, is clear and present and will continue to grow. And uh, certainly uh, you're giving meaning to being an education pioneer. And as we head back into the school year, I, I just want to thank you from the fullness of my heart because anybody that's out there teaching our kids um, deserves a medal. And Khan Academy is, is trailblazing and leading the way. To learn more, please visit khanacademy.org. On Facebook, the handle is Khan Academy, and on Twitter, it's at Khan Academy. If you want to reach out to my guest, James Tynan, who is the lead adoption team or the leader of the adoption team at Khan Academy, you can do so at James Tynan. Thank you for being with us, and thanks for sharing the joy that Khan Academy is bringing to the world with us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Each week... Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart, whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the Toginet Radio Network.